Between the Frames. Music, movies, culture, and faith. Featuring your hosts, John Gibson and Joel Flores. Hey, welcome to Between the Frames. I am your host, John Gibson, joined by my co-host, Joel Flores. What's going on, Joel? Hey, good morning, John. How's it going? Well, I guess it's morning here when we're recording, but yeah, it's morning. How you doing? It's morning. We're doing okay. <laughs> morning on any day, on any given day, right? Right, right. Yeah. Well, we're doing. We're jumping into something a little bit different at, here between the frames. The next couple of episodes are going to be kind of throwback episodes to some older films, um, and you know, depending on what your demographic is, older might be like two thousands. Or nineties, yes. but we're, we're not. We're not even, doing. Uh, we're not doing. Uh, you know, early speaky films or anything like right, that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, talk, yeah. Talky films. Yeah, we're not so. going back like a century, but we're going back. Uh, you know, to the decade of the seventies, especially in these H- next hence, two episodes. Hence, hence the special intro that is prepared for the show. So you know, it right. just brings you in. Yep. So. Anyway, we're going to take the next few episodes to just talk about some older movies. We've been really focusing on more recent films. I mean, last episode we talked about the the latest Best Picture winner for the Oscars and uh, Everything yep. Everywhere All at Once. And so we're going back, back, back. Um, you, you know, Joel and I always talk about the fact that, it, I mean, if we took copiously took notes during every episode probably we'd have this thread of eight six degrees of separation of films and a lot I'm of quite times sure we do yeah a lot of times i think that's how we end up anyway is kind of oh yeah that reminds me of this film and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it and so i right. I, I honestly don't even remember what we were talking about that led us to being there which is the movie that we're talking about today do you remember joel what we were talking about yeah, so it was a couple episodes back. Um, we were just talking about Peter Sellers and what a brilliant okay. actor he was. Mm-hmm. But also, then we kind of both jumped on the theme of being there. And it, it was the ability, I think it stemmed from the ability to be a good comedic actor who, mm. who also um, can be a drama. Oftentimes, comedic actors make great dramatic actors. Okay. And and this was a role I think Peter Sellers always wanted to play in, in one of his last. And... Um, that's where it stemmed from, and then we were both saying, "Oh man, I love that movie." I haven't seen, you know, it was one of my dad's favorites, and uh, I don't think, you know, I've been kind of studying this a little bit, and I was like, I don't think my dad probably pulled apart as much from the film as maybe we'll talk about today, mm-hmm. but yeah, but I think some of the same themes. He just he loved Peter Sellers and he loved the character that he portrayed, and and I don't think he maybe got as deep with the you know, the the nuance of, of media and politics and all that kind of stuff, like your worldview, right? But, yeah. But yeah. I think he, he probably got it. So. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I think one of the things that drew us to this film was just its, its relevance even, you know, 40 plus years later. Of Absolutely. Very, very kind of pointed yet... Um, Funny yet not funny, <laughs> more not funny because of the relevance of of what happens. But um, but yeah, I, in fact, Peter Sellers. You know, for anyone who's familiar with him, he he starred as uh, Inspector Clouseau in the Pink Panther movies. That's probably one of the things he's been known for the most. But uh, this movie being there, which we're talk, excuse me, talking about today, and. Um, Dr. Strangelove are probably the two movies that were the most pointed of his whole kind of filmography in regards to the political statements that they made. So, and, and let me just preface too, by saying like, this isn't going to be a majorly political episode. It's, I think if you've listened to us for any length of episodes, you know that we try to rise above in more of a critical thinking perspective than than a political Absolutely. and i think that's what really we see in in this movie being there which you know just a synopsis of the film after the death of his employer forces him out of the only home he's ever known a simple-minded sheltered gardener you know portrayed by peter sellers becomes an unlikely trusted advisor to a powerful tycoon and insider in washington politics and so um 
a couple of things kind of drew us to the film. I mean, like Joel mentioned before, we we were uh, talking and Peter Sellers came up, which kind of led to us coming to this film. Personally, um, the, a lot of the film is is filmed at the Biltmore Estate, which is in Asheville, North Carolina, where I lived for a short time and uh, actually still have a friend who is a groundskeeper at uh, oh, so he's, he's 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 Chance Gardner. Oh, yeah, exactly right. He's <laughs> I I should start calling him Chance, right? But um, <laughs> so so we 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 went several times with you guys, and mm-hmm. that was a lot of always a fond memory and like incredible place, right? Oh, yeah. I always tell everybody sidebar. I always tell everybody if we're going to start identifying, I always say, "Well, I identify as a Vanderbilt, so uh, <laughs> where's where's my where's my inheritance?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's gorgeous. Uh, there's a whole list of films that have been had some part uh, there. Actually, Hannibal, I think, was um, mm-hmm. was filmed there, part of it, and um, other films. It's a perfect place to use for stuff. Oh yeah, yeah it is, perfect. and it's gorgeous. And this, you know, this movie came out in 1979, and so that was uh, a long time ago, and some of the updates and stuff that have happened at the estate um, since then have been fairly significant but but was it, the home still functional as a home then it's not like a, a no 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 it's not a residence anymore i think there may be no i mean back then oh, in 79 back then no 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 i looked it up i think it was in the early part of the 20th century that it it moved from being a private uh, residence to becoming a museum um, so the Biltmore, the Biltmore is like the equivalent of what you have if if you were to watch like Downton Abbey, like those right the the high echelon of social hierarchy within a within a society, right? Like it's mm-hmm. one of those kind of estates, and it's very very large. The grounds are beautiful, you know. There's the winery, there's all that kind of stuff, and so it's it's a fascinating place to go to to visit. Yeah. Okay. So and not- and. Uh, Newport, Rhode Island has a lot of those oh, yeah. kind of homes as well, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. 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 So the the Billmore estate officially opened for the Vanderbilt family in 1895. And then uh, in in 1930 was when the the house was opened to the public. So we're we're coming on about a hundred almost a hundred years ago that it it opened to the public. So um, Wow. But yeah. That's it's, a, kind that, of crazy. That's crazy. It really is. So it, so they didn't they didn't really live there that long then, I guess, which is just bizarre. No, I mean, construction began in 1889, so and then it was finished and opened up for the family in 1895, and probably, I mean, at that point, I'm not sure how old was it Vanderbilt like a summer was. residence for them because they lived they lived in Newport area. Yeah, well. I think like, it was. I think it was. Can you imagine? I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, oh, they, that's my lake. That's my lake house. I'm pretty that's sure my... they only had one daughter too. Um, I think her name was Cornelia or something. But um, dude, but... the extravagance of like, I mean, there's so many layers of discussions we can have oh. about that, but we won't get into that today. Gosh, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But the bowling alley. But anyway, oh, yeah. so so this this movie, John, tell us a little bit about. Um, I mean. You know, walk us walk us into this a little bit. The setting it up, the scenario around uh, Sellers' character, yeah. Chance, because that's in part that's important. Well, and it's funny because one of the things that just watching this again, I think one of a theme that we've seen in other movies is the fact that if one movie hadn't happened, would you have seen some other movies? I mean, so movies become precursors to other films. And to me, watching this multiple times, um, I could really see how the movie Cable Guy with with uh, Jim Carrey came out because this guy, Chance the Gardener, who becomes Chauncey Gardner because somebody mishears it. It's actually Shirley MacLaine's character who who mishears. They call him Chauncey, right? Yes, because he's simple. He's more simple-minded. Mm-hmm. He's been sheltered, kind of living in this home the whole time. Yeah. So his whole oh, yeah. worldview is his experience in this home, right? On these this, grounds. Yeah, this is the only home that he's ever known, and he has basically learned about life and culture through TV, which, again, I mean, 
obviously TV in the in the 60s, 70s was different than 80s, 90s, and even today. But just just imagine to yourself the equivalent being like the internet and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah, imagine and it, everything you know. Yeah, and like I said, if you want a more updated kind of perspective of what this would look like, I think Jim Carrey's Cable Guy is a good yeah. There you go. Kind of similar idea to everything that I know, everything that I'm familiar with, all of my dialogue and interactions are based upon what I see. And and there are multiple times, I think Sellers does a phenomenal job in this film. He's watching TV and he's, he's basically adopting the mannerisms, not just in speech, but action at the mm. people that he sees there. And so right. he's not really... A, a unique character in that everything he does has been seen done by somebody else. So he's basically just regurgitating everything that he sees, even to the point of, I mean, there's a, a fairly, I was watching it with, with my oldest son and there was a really awkward scene where Shirley MacLaine is basically trying to seduce him and um, <laughs> she's kind of enjoying herself on the floor and he is glued to the TV the entire time. He's just <laughs> watching the TV. And, um, you know, I could tell my son was like, do we fast forward this? And I, it was one of those <laughs> moments where I'm like, you know, yeah. I, it was one of those moments I wanted to fast forward, but at the same time, I'm like, what the context that this offers to the character of, of Chance the Gardener was so significant because you realize that every it's almost like one of those stupid back in the 70s and 80s they had those little plastic eight balls you know where you you turn them and it gives you you know you ask it a question and it tells you stuff and I, i mean it's almost like the tv became for him this i'm not gonna do anything until i see this on TV until I I get some kind of a um, an indication of what my answer should be and and yeah or my social cue like right. his social cues like not yes not knowing so imagine the social cues now with everything we have in media mm-hmm. <laughs> my gosh right so that that whole I, I think that's a great um, a a really good scenario that you set up there, you know, with because Dylan, I was probably watching with you. Oh right? yeah, uh-huh. so asking like, should should we be watching this? But I I also make those judgments too, where I'm like, no, this is. And the other part is, I mean, he's old enough where you're like, well, they see all this stuff and whatever anyway. It's more the it's more that we're sitting here watching the movie together kind of thing, right? And right. it's like at least you can talk through. You can also kind of talk through things and teach through things, right? So, yeah. but but you look and and it's not the worst. So, that scenario that you bring up is really unique because it is. It's like how do I? You see him kind of, it, in a way, and I'm not I'm not comparing it to this, but I'm giving an illustration. It's almost like you know, say someone who ha- who's on spectrum, mm-hmm. who maybe has uh, a, a certain type of autism where. Maybe they don't read things, they read everything in black and white, and maybe they don't understand social cues. Or you have someone who's been isolated or has grown up as an only child or whatever it may be. Sometimes there are social cues that are difficult to pick up on, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at it through that frame, imagine this guy. We never know really what his, um, I I guess, really intellectual state is. Mm But I think it's it's more giving exactly that that context that you're talking about. What if your whole world was limited to what what is portrayed to you that that's what it's supposed to be? Right. What what if now you're out in the world and you have to operate through that? It's almost like being an alien. Right. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, and I think you know if we could go back and I, I mean just off the top of my head, I mean the movie Blast from the Past kind of remind like makes me think too, or you know where you've got movies where there's been somebody who's been isolated and their context and perspective has been limited by their upbringing, and all of a sudden they're thrust out into the real world and they have to try to understand. And make peace. I mean, even in um, Shawshank Redemption, you know, um, 
trying to remember the guy's name, the older dude who basically spent his entire adult life in prison. And when he was released, the world was a very, very different place than when he had originally gone to prison. There were cars everywhere and streets were noisy. And he ended up, you know, committing suicide because of just he, he couldn't handle that and so I think there's been other films that have dealt with that idea before what what you said Joel I think is key too the fact that you know you never really fully get the the what where the simplicity kind of originates in in chance you don't know you know is it is it some kind of he's on the spectrum or or, or what yeah is it a neurodiversity sure is it a, you know what I mean like and, and it's just because I think we have more terms and context for that now. Right. Where a lot of people were overlooked then. So, you know, you're just, you're simple or you're not. Oh, right? yeah. So yeah. we don't and, know. We and, don't know those and, things. And I don't think they were, you know, po- they weren't poking fun at him not at, at all. all. I don't nope. think they were nope. making light of it at all. But I think what they were really saying is, I, I mean, he he's basically been a gardener and he's watched TV. And so... Everything he knows, even the wisdom that eventually people start kind of buying into of his, they, um, they, they're all simple things. Like there's one phrase that he says as people are asking about the economy and they say, and Chance says, as long as the roots are not severed, all is well and all will be well in the garden. And, and he's legit just talking about the garden and plants and people are like, oh wow, that's an incredibly profound Profound. approach towards our economy. And oh, so everything's going to be okay. And, and you know, there's something to be said about applying mm-hmm. simple kind of proverbs and and wisdom nuggets to situations like that, but um, that wasn't what he was necessarily talking about. And right. um, you know, so you see that happening multiple times, and you see him just kind of interacting simply with other people they are are not even you know no one stopped to ask either like hey what's your background and he just continues to give simple reasons about stuff but what are your qualifications what makes you expert in this what 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 do you know about this i think it's important because it, this is an interesting film in that regard, and this is maybe where we get into the 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 conversation about today. Fast forward a little mm-hmm. bit. It, it's a foreshadowing a bit. Now, obviously, the movie is very Kubrick-esque in, in kind of its, its setup a little bit, right? Sure. But if you – and there's a lot of references. I think it's kind of an homage to, to his work. But if you, if you look at this film, it's one of those um, – it, it's – it's one of those things where it's foreshadowing really the times we live in. I think mm-hmm. as technology and communication and progress, progress of humanity, air quotes, you know, education, all those things move forward. It's like, really, how how, um, how critical can we be? I think that this is what it always comes back to a lot of times in our shows, for the most part, is are we willing to think critically? Are we willing to ask questions, put our emotions on the shelf? put our own opinions and our own uh, just our own perspectives on pause for a moment or are we able to see the bigger picture because we often take talking points from different talking heads or mm-hmm. celebrities or whoever it may be and and we often take it as gospel like that's we don't even take the gospel as gospel but we take what they say you know what I mean mm-hmm. and, and the information they put if it aligns with what we want it to you know what I mean we become more and more infatuated with that and it's created wider and wider and wider division um, in in numerous directions on multiple things, and and the listener who's listening knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But the problem starts with, like we see in this movie, he he's a um, a genuinely benevolent person. Mm-hmm. So with that, it's it's harmless in nature. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you have people who are not right? Right. right. I mean, that's the oh. question. And are we willing to just? Absolutely. So, you know, interestingly, John, I've been thinking about this as an out, as, as someone from the States living out of the States and, mm-hmm. and, and all that, bringing this perspective in. I've been thinking, you know, for all the talks of people think in Canada, people think 
in the States, if they know anything about Canada, they think we don't have freedom or that we're under some kind of, you know, socialist communist rule or whatever it is. And it couldn't be further from the truth. It's like going to your cousin's house, you know, in another state. And, and basically the thing is though, we have certain ways that we view how we do things, but like, there's no less freedom than there. I walk out, I do whatever I want. I have representation. They can't infringe on my chart of rights. Like you have the same trial process, due processes, all these kinds of things. But we never stopped to think because, you know, I thought about growing up, we think like our constitution was the original and it's the original democratic constitution. And no, it is not. Mm -hmm. But also like, you know, those originated from other ideas. But also we, we start to think that we are, you know, in the States, we're the only symbol of freedom, we're, we're freedom, 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 which is great. But are you free? Are you really free? Is your thought free? Are you being manipulated wherever you are on that spectrum? Are you manipulated like a marionette? Are you, are you just really one of the thousands of sheep on a hill? Do you know what I'm saying? That mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So like when you think through that stuff, it, it makes you question what is freedom? What does that actually mean? What does it mean to be free to think? And, and I think, so what I'm trying to say is I think we've put ourselves societally, really on both sides of the border, North America, we've, we've put ourselves into a, almost a, a cognitive uh, jail or detention, if you will. We've allowed ourselves to slip into this place because we won't take time to think through things. I'm speaking very broad strokes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, mm -hmm. there are lots of people within that who take the time to do this. But culturally, we're more satisfied with who's going to say the next thing or think the next thing the way that I do. And yeah, let's get on that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and wherever that may land. And so you have him saying things and everybody's like, oh, yeah. Well, I think it's a foreshadow to, you know, what happens when you have people with an agenda? And I think that's really what we're mm. fighting against is who has the agenda? What's the motive? Those are always the questions we're asking, right? And yeah. that would be questions you would ask for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, and and all that reminds me of a scene in the film where, you know, Chance is, has, uh, the, the reason why he ends up connecting with this guy, Benjamin Rand, is because his, his wife, Benjamin's wife, is being driven around in their car and the the driver of the car backs into chance and hurts his leg mm. and so you know they're you know again something that could easily happen today hey how do we avoid any kind of litigation we want to take care of yeah. you so they they take him in and they have their best doctors help him and Benjamin mm. himself is ha has doctors in his house because he's dying and right. um, and that just begins this whole again this this connection and I, I I feel like I use the word juxtaposition a lot lately but I think there's a lot of that in this film where you see mm. the simplicity of chance coupled with this high society kind of idealistic look for big ideas kind of um, segment of society and. It, there's a scene where because Chance hurt his leg, they're toting him around in a in a wheelchair. And so one of the butlers at the, the house is in the elevator with him. And there Chance says one thing and the butler hears it in the context that the butler like from the butler's perspective and they're both mm -hmm. talking past each other. And, you know, it was a really simple scene, but it really, really struck me pretty hard, mm -hmm. especially in light of, you know, what you were just talking about, Joel, that, you know, there are so many times that, you know, we look at things simply from our own perspective. And then when we hear things, that's all we're hearing them from. I mean, you know, as a mm. as a student of theology and having gone through seminary and stuff, one of the things that I'm reminded of also is hermeneutics. That you know, this idea that when we read things, particularly with scripture, but with anything in particular, we need to have an idea of what was the intent of the author when they wrote this? Who were they writing to? How are the people who this was written for 
interpreting it and hearing it based upon their culture and whatever. And the same thing in the in this small little scene where Chance and the, the butler are in the elevator, they're talking past each other and they're not taking into account the hermeneutic, basically, of the other person. They're not understanding where that person's coming from and asking the right questions to get there. And frankly, I think we do that a lot today. You know, where yeah, yep. where we're just, we stop. And, and, you know, one of the things that I've seen over the last couple of years, especially, was um, having... Having friends who have alternate viewpoints of things to be able mm-hmm. to say, and we've talked about this before, Joel, but yep. to be able to say, hey, um, this is how I'm seeing it. Give me some of your perspective because I'm obviously not seeing something here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that you talked about that, and especially the here minute. Uh- I'm saying the word wrong. Hermeneutic. Say it again. Yeah. Hermeneutic. Hermeneutics. I just like lost the word in my oh, mind. Oh, it's okay. I'm spelling it out. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but thinking about that, this I, I think this speaks on the importance, though, John, of literature and arts mm-hmm. as a vital part of education. And the more that we cut it out, mm. we 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 and and even history, we tend to focus. Let's let's be honest. We tend to be obsessed and focus with the maths and sciences, which are very important mm-hmm. as a holistic part of your education, but. It's, you know, to get the best jobs, you got to be, you know, engineer, doctor, lawyer, all these kinds of things, or scientists, physicists, biologists, all these kinds of things. And it's like, what well, we, we don't give enough credit to the fact that it's so, the humanities are also so important. Yes. And I think too much of American culture, mm. um, I think too much of even, even our culture here, even though it's a little less, have really... I mean, that's why I appreciate the fact that this is a bilingual province. It, it it doesn't shade or throw shade at their Canadianness. It's the fact that there is this heritage, and and it's not a bad thing to learn multiple languages. It's a good thing. All, I'm listening to Elias the other day. He's speaking fluently in French to someone, and then he's speaking perfectly in English. He learns. Try you want to take a challenge on John is try learning physics in French. When it's not your first language, because that's what Isaac's doing. Wow, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you think about those things. That's not a bad thing. It educates you. It enables them to now have open careers and open ability, and even more. If it, it, you know, I'd love them to learn three languages. Mm-hmm. Learning multiple languages doesn't take away your identity from being American or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, and that, but but that's a part of that whole not understanding that culture is important. But in the very least. What you just talked about is a simple principle of teaching literature. Right. To read it from the place of, you know, Othello by Shakespeare makes no sense if you're just reading it in your old Shakespeare, old timey King James words. But when you actually understand the history, the context behind it, what were the people like? What was life like? What was the story trying to show as it portrayed something in, in entertainment? What was the theme of the story? When you start to bring those aspects to life and help your students or people connect with that, I'm just giving you an example, mm-hmm. it, it brings it so much more to life. Yeah. You know, the, the writings of anyone yeah. historically and, and, and even in history, whatever. One of the best history teachers I ever had um, in high school Everybody loved him, and he was also our dramatic arts teacher, too, but he was amazing. Everybody loved him. Uh, He taught ancient history for half a semester. I remember I took the elective. And from the day we walked in, he had that textbook memorized. But I remember as soon as we said it, it was like football players, all of us sitting there. He turns around, and he goes, and there stood Alexander the Great, peering over the ledge. (laughs) He reached down and touched the dew of the grass brought it to his nose and he like sniffed in and he's like uh-huh. and he's telling the story and we're all like leaning over our seats with like our, our tongues hanging open yeah. because we're like waiting to hear what he's going to say next and he paints this entire visual mm. of like a battle and then he gets into the history of it and continues to tell the story and then gets into the history and we I, I've never done so well in a history class. But my <laughs> point is, and that was the year, actually, I had him the year that Mr. Bristol, the year that Braveheart came out. So then we, like, all wanted to see that because it was, like, you know, ancient history kind of fighting, right? Like, yeah. ancient style of fighting. So what I'm trying to say, John, is 
what you've said is we've lost the ability to appreciate, I think, high art, mm. to appreciate the value of it. And so we don't understand people and human beings. We don't have the patience for understanding them. We've reduced them to a line or a bot or a program, get on my program or get off of it. So we can't talk with people anymore and reason and understand like like there are people john i talked to that i grew up with in the same town who are now extremely wealthy live in florida have a very very serious viewpoint and when i'm talking to them about things that are being banned or taken away i have to explain to them do you know that while i was growing up with you in school this was my experience mm. This is what happened to me. Mm. This is what my teachers did to me because they were racist. Mm. Like, like I was clapping erasers in grade one while you were all outside because I had no idea why. Yeah. And all I know is I didn't want to go to school anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Come to find out years later why that was. But it's like you didn't experience that. And you didn't even care. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah. we were in the same class. We grew up together. Like, yeah. You know, and yeah. I'm just giving you an example. People have different experiences and we have to learn to understand that right well and that's why i think context is so so important i i've been reading a, a book uh, slowly trying to get through um this book about tupac who you know i mean i i to be honest with you probably 10 years ago i didn't even know who he was you know and then um as i've gotten to know some of his music and whatever reading his story. I, I can't, one of the things over the last couple of years, I've written, read a ton of biographies and autobiographies because I feel like knowing a person's context is so helpful to understand them better. Um, it's not to excuse the person that they've become or say that, hey, um, well, that's why, you know, they do bad things or whatever. But I, I think it's so important for us to have the backstory in order for us to have better understand where someone's coming from. And I think it gives us empathy. I mean, I, I'm not a naturally empathetic person. Um, so I always have to find ways that I can kind of inject a little empathy into my bones. And, and for me, when I find out people's backstories and I ask questions or I, I read something, I mean, I'm reading Will Smith's bio, uh, autobiography right now too. Um, I needed to try to see something positive after that whole slap heard around the world, I guess. But um, yeah, that's right. But like, it's been just really, really fascinating to me. And, and I think, it, you know, when we when we don't listen and hear a person's story, we not only do them a disservice by not trying to understand them, but I think we do ourselves a disservice by not being able to really appreciate things and learn as well as we could because it really, again, I think it, it, it opens up our eyes and our minds a little bit more to realize, okay, things are, are not always what they seem on the surface. And that's basically what happens here in this film is everybody's looking at chance or Chauncey and they're saying, okay, that's all there is to him. He's very one dimensional and we're not even going to dig deep to find out why he's this way. We're just going to say, wow, this is amazing. You know, he's a guru. Mm hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and right. Right. And, you know, spoiler alert. I mean, how the film ends. I, I was watching some extras because um, I have the Criterion version of the film and Hal Ashby, who's the director, was talking about the ending. And there were two alternate there were alternate endings, as there are for many films. But um, you, you see at the end of this film that. Chance starts walking across the water. And, you know, there are some people who were offended by that because, you know, we know who the, the only, I guess, two people that we know of based on the Bible who, who walked on water and, and one of them didn't do it so well and sank, right? So, um, but, but Chance does this. And I thought to myself, it's such a social commentary that I don't, I, that everyone has elevated this guy to the point of, Jesus basically that he's this is he is a savior for us and by walking on water that's what Ashby was depicting you know 
That's the, especially back then. I mean, that's the whole point. And that's that's the other part of that conversation. What you just mentioned is we overreact to these things. And it's like, oh, gosh, have you yeah. thought about the nuance of what they're actually saying? And yeah. that's my point about the detriment of people not understanding art, appreciating literature. To be honest with you, I think a whole lot of people who argue on Twitter nonstop all failed poetry. Like, honestly, yeah, couldn't have cared less about it. Just wanted to get out to run track or throw football. And listen, I love all that stuff, too. But I'm just saying, like, you know, put all their eggs in that basket and didn't take it seriously. And it's like, man, you missed a lot of lessons about <laughs> human nature. And you know what I mean? Oh, and, yeah. and, and I would err and I would err to say that that translates to their understanding of even dare I say trying to exegete scripture like mm -hmm. you know what I mean they're not yeah so yeah so it's th this whole idea of of what you just put there is exactly right they've made him and I think it's a symbolism of we do this all the time we prop people up to be our savior mm -hmm. we put all our eggs in their basket and then then no matter what their behavior whether it continues to be good or it, it then starts to be negative or they've done these things we'll make all these exceptions because now our whole identity and everything we believe is aligned with these people or that person. And there's no way that they could ever be bad. And, and person X over here could do the same exact things, but person A over here, well, you know, I mean, there's a response for that. And didn't you know that, you know, so-and-so? And it's like, look, man, listen, I know I'm being tongue-in-cheek, but this happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we're always looking for a savior. And the problem is, do you realize that that's what you're doing? Right. Do you realize that that's what you're doing or not? Are you somebody who would have been there going, yes, this guy Chauncey, he's got all the answers. Or would you have been like, okay, nice guy and everything. But like, dude, did you know that he was like a gardener? And right. And simple, simple mind. That's about it. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Doesn't make him bad. No, I, but like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I And I think that's, that's so key is again, like just. You know, we live, and I found myself doing this. You know, we live in a a information saturated society, and no other time in history has information been as readily available as quickly as it is to us today. And I think instead of getting overwhelmed by that, which is definitely easy to do, instead of, you know, burying our heads in the sand and saying, I'm going to avoid it, how can we do it thoughtfully um, where we, yeah, we really engage in that too. And, and look, you know, I mean, maybe this is, this is off topic too much, but even as we're talking about humanities and arts and other things like that, you know, I mean, in recent news, some of you have probably read about the, you know, some parents getting all up in arms because their teacher showed them the, you know, the David, um, with Michelangelo's David. And, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, can you think of a more non-sexual thing than that, that, that statue? Um, and I, you know, look, I, we've all got to have standards. I get it. Um, but like sometimes we need to understand. This is why I think context is key, because, again, it's like, how do we stop asking ourselves, how am I seeing this and start saying, how did they how did he see this when he made this? When when Michelangelo, it's Michelangelo, right, who did the David when he you know, sculpted this thing. Yeah, it, what was for, was... it was for the church. It was supposed to be in the church, <clears throat> but it was so beautiful. They actually donated it to like, so that everybody would see it. Yeah. They wanted it to be right. Yeah. Well, you think about it too. I mean, you ask yourself a couple of questions. You can give them a heads up. The students, I think, sure. and maybe just tell the parents, Hey, we're going to be doing this. And maybe there is the error, but it certainly doesn't warrant firing. Okay. Secondly, I mean, you want to talk about freedom. That's restricting freedom. Okay. Mm -hmm. And secondly, regardless, man, it just is what it is. I don't, yeah. I don't, even care at this point it just is okay you start restricting art that sounds very um i don't know uh hmm what was that scene in the last crusade where indy's trying to get the his father's book and they're burning the books and then he runs into hitler anyway so yeah. point is is that there we go we're cross-referencing movies uh that scene though I, I mean that if you think about this situation with with the the art david the sculpture mm -hmm. okay what sixth grader does not know about, you know, male anatomy at that mm -hmm. point? Yeah. Okay. I mean, just in general, even in jokey words. Like, <laughs> okay. Secondly, 
you just set it up. This is a statue. It's David. It was made this way. Blah 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 blah. And and you give the context to it and you show it to them because the thing is, you're going to see it. I would rather. Uh, you know, I had to guide students through this kind of things and in a Christian school setting. I would rather take them through, or our parents would rather we take them through that stuff. It's like what I was talking about with you watching this movie with Dylan. I'd rather he be with you and you actually go through it than mm-hmm. throw him out there. And I was just having a conversation with my oldest about this the other night. I said, we walk through these things together because if I keep you in a box, man, and just try to keep everything away from you, that's like taking you and literally tossing you into a den of wolves when you're out of my house. Yeah. I'm just going to throw you in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And, right. and it is, you're right. Context is so important. Like we have to understand if we keep losing those things though. Now we can draw lines in the sands about a lot of stuff. There's sure. stuff that's definitely negative all around. Oh, I mean, absolutely. frankly, there's very negative air quotes, Christian behavior and rhetoric. And then there's very negative, you know, far leftist rhetoric. There's, there's all this stuff all in between, but like, this is not one of those things and we have to be discerning or else everything becomes reactionary mm-hmm. instead of proactive mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. that's the bottom line yeah yeah well and and i think again it goes back to you know the the idea of critical thinking i mean i'm not i don't think either of us are saying hey let your kids or you know you should watch everything like just you know not go hog wild nope. no but we're saying like use Use discretion, discernment, and and be thoughtful about it, and and stop to think. I mean, um, I've probably mentioned it before. One of my, I, I was more of a Stephen King fan, you know, back 15 years sure. ago than I am today. But um, but he wrote at, when he got into an accident, he wrote a book called On Writing, just about the craft of writing, and he he talked about this. Um, society of like decency and stuff and how so often by being so prudish in our approach towards things we miss reality and and I think we just you know need to be so careful about about that and and again I mean think about raising someone like Chance the Gardener you know it comes back around to this film in that you know, we don't see anything about his dad. We don't know. All we know is that he was raised in this this place, and that he um, his 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 boss dies, and he's got no context other than this place. And when you release someone like that into the world, like Joel was saying before, I mean, we've done a disservice if they have no idea of things and. I mean, you can go on YouTube. Like if right? he hasn't taken, he never took him on experiences on a trip. Right. Took him, gave him time off to go see the world. Like, I mean, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I think I personally, I, I'm going to let you get right back to your point. But personally, I think it's, I've said it before. If you have the means or you ever have the means or you're afforded the ability, you know, not only get out of your state, but like go try try to get out of the country. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, or just even out places. of your own. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm get amazed. out of your own state and go visit a cross country. Go visit somewhere else where just culturally it's a bit different. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm amazed. I I don't know if it happens in particular areas or not, but you know, people who have never ventured much further than 30 mile radius from where they were born and grew up, and and I'm not I'm not saying that hey don't. You, you know, you have to live where, where you were born for the rest of your life. But I am saying, like, at least if, if you're going to stay where you were born and raised, then at least go outside of that context to have a better understanding of, of what, um, you know, what else is out there. Yeah, what I was going to say before is you can go on YouTube. There's, there's these fascinating videos where you see people experiencing something for the first time. I mean, you know, all of us hopefully know Empire Strikes Back and the big reveal that happens in that film. You know, there have been people who have filmed their children as that was playing out before them and, and seeing their reactions. And then people who hear a, a song for the first time that's, you know, not their necessarily, uh, you know, desirable genre or their style or whatever and hearing it for the first time just watching those reactions those are humorous reactions but that's right think about you know what that would look like if it was 
not so humorous and not so entertaining to see and how what are Absolutely. we doing what are we doing to make sure that we're you know at least making ourselves familiar with stuff and with you know you mentioned it before Joel with with arts and stuff being cut budgets being cut in schools and there being less time and space for that it, it's ta it's it's become the responsibility and the onus becomes on parents and families to really try to you know train up their kids in in these different things i i was substituting at a school the other day and um these kids are you know fifth grade so they're like 11 years old and one of the girls mentioned mr blue sky by elo and i looked at her and i said I want to give your parents a hug because they've done a great job. If if you, as an 11 year old, basically know Mr. Blue Sky by ELO, it's like, hey, right. how are we again? What are we doing to not not let our kids see everything? But you know, I don't think any of us want to raise Chance the Gardener and then thrust them into the world. So. You you know, as I was thinking about this, you're you're dead on. I mean, I think another great character that is very close to this would be um forrest gump oh yeah except that he went through life experiencing all these different things mm -hmm. however he kept the simplistic teachings that he learned as a kid and it's almost i'm sure it was very much inspired from stories like this it's a role that yeah frankly you know peter sellers in his prime would have played very well i i would I would guarantee someone like Tom Hanks definitely studied that kind of character right. as he was preparing for it, right? Yeah. So you think about that role, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. Mm -hmm. You never know what you're going to get. You know, all these things that people, when you think of all the scenes where he's like, you know, meeting JFK and all this different stuff because he happened to be there, he invented, he, he happened to be one of the originators of Apple or owners right. or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all these things that happened because of him, I, I think in the same way, you know, the social commentary of the time is, is similar in that when we go back and look at those films, for example, we see um, also comedic actors. I mean, Tom, Tom Hanks mm -hmm. was started out. Yeah. All, always has been a very wide range actor, but I think he was predominantly doing comedy and different kinds of comedy to that point. Mm -hmm. And then he, that I think that role really spurred on his more dramatic side mm -hmm. of what he's done over the years. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you look at, I, I think I haven't seen the movie. It just came out recently with him uh, this past year. I think it's Otto? another, the man I think it's another similar kind. If I, if I, if, I think it has a similar type of trope to it, I think. And it's supposed to be very good. Yeah, yeah Man Called Otto. Yep. Um, forgive me if I'm wrong on that. I haven't seen it yet. I, I intend to. But, like, you know, Peter Sellers, I look at this note you put here, and it's perfect. He, he Sellers, a lot of people don't realize that he is one of the great all-time, not only comedic actors, but actors of his, of his era. But he inspired so many great comedians that we've come across. I mean, mm -hmm. even guys like Jim Carrey, who we also learned had a wide range of, I mean, I think he's a great actor mm -hmm. and I always saw it even mm -hmm. way back. I mean, there's even a scene we were watching Dumb and Dumber the other day and the, the scene I always thought that showed, wow, this guy has great dramatic range. And then he went and did that was of the scene where he goes, I'm tired of being a nobody, Harry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Of having nothing. You know, and he's kind of like crying, and it's this pensive moment that's supposed to be kind of funny. And he's and 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 interestingly enough, um, gosh, who plays Lloyd? Uh, um, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Yes. Jeff, oh gosh, Jeff Daniels, who is a dramatic actor, who is you know doing the comic chops. Um, you know, he's like, "Come here, bring it in." And he's like, "You better not be fooling." But that whole scene, like, there's a there's a moment there where you go, "Wow, this is like like he's a really good dramatic actor." Mm. So it makes total sense that somebody like Peter Sellers, who could tap into the absolute most insane characters, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's murder by death or whatever, and completely play this subdued, straight role mm -hmm. where we're in reality. You know, is that the essence of a little bit more how he is? Not the maybe the simpleness, mm -hmm. but 
is this the dignified way? Is this a little bit more how he is as a person? Is he, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you try to get to know him, the person. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't get to see enough of him portrayed in other movies, but I would bet you, John, do you think, I think Peter Sellers would have had a lot more, um, dramatically offered roles or, or mm-hmm. more serious type roles had he lived. Yeah. Oh, I, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, and, and we can speculate on that. I definitely think that he, yeah, especially because this, and I, I can't remember the exact year that um, Dr. Strangelove came out, but I know that this was one of his last, last films cause he died about a year later after it was released. So um, I, I think he probably and he was filming another, he was filming another Pink Panther too, and and that's when he passed. Yeah, so yeah. he was doing one more. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. So well, good stuff. I you know this was a book too. I'll, at some point, I'll probably try to see if I can read it. Um, it's always it's always uh, interesting to go back and read either either read the book first and then watch the movie or watch a movie yeah. and and yeah. read the book. But um, but if you haven't seen it, I, I would definitely check it out. Definitely check out some of Peter Sellers work. I mean, some people weren't slapstick people, but the first few Pink Panther movies were just, I mean. So interestingly enough, a shot in the dark, which is the original one Mm -hmm. was really about David Niven being the Pink Panther, the thief. Okay. And, and Sellers was only supposed to be like, his role was supposed to be more straightforward. And if you notice, Clouseau is way more subdued in A Shot in the Dark. Mm. Way more. Mm-hmm. Like, he's more straightforward, traditional comedy. The thing is, he added in all these ad-lib kind of per- aspects that uh-huh. he became the star of the movie. And they, they took the vehicle around him yeah. for the rest of the movies. I mean, David Niven was the big star. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, it's an interesting fact that you... You know how you can steal the audience, right? right. And we've talked about a lot of characters in the past that have stolen the show, basically, of the scenes, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, yeah. Like you said, check it out, and um, you know, let us know uh, if you watch it what you thought about it. Um, again, it's we understand that not everything is everyone's cup of tea, but would love for you to expand your palette a little bit. Check it out. If there are things that, that you're watching or have watched or some, you know, we've put stuff up on social media here and there where we've asked people, hey, why don't you go ahead and let us know some of your favorite movies, some good classic movies. That's been how we've gotten some of our the movies that we've talked about for our episodes. So um, make sure that you're following us uh, on Facebook and checking out our Facebook page. If you have ideas or thoughts, feel free to send us an email at podcastbetweentheframes at gmail.com. Follow us on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. And Anchor. Anchor. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of on all the platforms, right? Yeah. So I mean, really. So share it out. We would love it uh, to get some more followers and um, let us know that uh, what you think about some of these episodes, and we'll just so they can listen to they can listen to everything we say and not question it and just take it as the truth. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's really the plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just kidding. Just kidding. So, Thanks so for now listening. that we've revealed our evil plan, we will let you go. <laughs> Until Joel's next rubbing time. his hands together. Yeah, just no. like <laughs> just like Doctor Evil. There we go. <laughs> so in, uh, we'll see you next time. Until next time, we'll see ya. Thanks for listening to Between the Frames with John and Joel. If you like what you're listening to, be sure to click subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. We are on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Prime, as well as Anchor FM. In each episode, John and Joel dig a little bit deeper to find hidden meanings between the frames as it relates to life, culture, and faith. See you next time.